Hi, I'm Nim, and this is A Spoonful of Medicine, topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. Quick question, do you like coffee? I know I do. My go-to is a dirty chai latte. But do you know who else likes coffee? Or caffeine, rather. The babies in the NICU. Today, we're talking about apnea prematurity, when the baby Chino can be very helpful. We're going to talk about what it is, who's at risk of getting it, and how we manage it in these premature babies. So strap in, get your headphones, and let's go. Apnea is a super common condition and a significant clinical problem in preterm neonates. It is manifested by an unstable respiratory rhythm, and it can either reflect an immaturity of the respiratory control system or it can be secondary to other pathological conditions that we'll go into in a little bit. So, like always, let's kick this episode off with a few definitions. Pauses in breathing lasting up to 20 seconds are quite a common phenomenon in neonates, and most occur without any other physiological changes like bradycardia or hypoxia, and they end spontaneously without any intervention. However, the definition of apnea is a pause in breathing lasting more than 20 seconds or a pause in breathing that lasts less than 20 seconds that is associated with bradycardia or cyanosis, i.e. desaturation. Therefore, apnea prematurity or AOP is most widely defined as a cessation of breathing for more than 20 seconds or a shorter respiratory pause if associated with hypoxemia and or bradycardia in infants who are younger than 37 weeks gestational age. A quick note, you may have heard of people talking about periodic breathing. This is not apnea prematurity. Periodic breathing is a normal breathing pattern characterised by respiratory efforts and cycles of about 10 to 15 seconds, followed by a pause in respiration for 5 to 10 seconds without any change in the heart rate or the saturations. Periodic breathing in a premature infant is often due to excessive stimulation by the peripheral chemoreceptors, which promote breathing instability, i.e. the peripheral chemoreceptors are saying, hey, you've breathed enough, and so the brain pauses for a bit. And when they pause, you build up carbon dioxide. And then those peripheral chemoreceptors say, hey, you're not breathing enough. And the baby breathes again. The prevalence of periodic breathing is almost 100% in preterm infants. And the good news is, the prognosis of that is really good. Anyway, back to apneas and apnea prematurity. Apneas themselves can be separated into three main causes. They can be central apneas, obstructive apneas, or mixed apneas. Central apnea, which is what apnea prematurity is, is related to immaturity of the central nervous system. Central apneas are characterized by a total cessation of inspiratory effort with no evidence of any obstruction to the airflow. The next type is obstructive apneas. Obstructive apneas present clinically when there is chest wall movement, but there's not much air flowing through, i.e. there's some obstruction in the airway that's leading to the baby not being able to take a breath. For example, a lack of coordination of respiratory musculature, 
a neck flexion causing obstruction of the airway, or nasal obstruction can all cause obstructive apnea in a neonate. Then finally, we have mixed apneas, and these, like the name suggests, are a mixture between central and obstructive apneas. Now, I keep on saying that apnea prematurity is quite common. The incidence of apneas increase with decreasing gestational age, and you can see that this is a common theme with all these prematurity-related comorbidities. Practically, all babies born less than 29 weeks will develop apnea prematurity, whereas by 30 weeks, this proportion will decrease to about 85%, so still a lot of them, and then it further reduces to about 15 to 20% when you're born at around 34 weeks. Notably, mixed causes of apnea are the most common type of apnea, followed by central and then obstructive being the least common. In terms of pathophysiology, apnea prematurity is a developmental disorder and generally resolves by 36 to 37 weeks of gestational age. Among more immature infants, apnea can often persist past term gestation. But the bottom line is, apnea prematurity reflects a physiological rather than pathological immature state of respiratory control. For those who lack a little bit more detail, peripheral chemoreceptors are active only at low oxygenation levels in the fetal life, and thus they become essentially silent in the immediate postnatal period when you have a lot of oxygen in your system. Over time, these peripheral chemoreceptors undergo a progressive reset period so they can become more useful in the postnatal baby. However, when babies receive oxygen, which is frequently the case in preterm infants, these chemoreceptors say to the brain, hey, I don't need to breathe, there's enough oxygen around. And it is thought that this may contribute to a degree of apnea as well. Additionally, Most apneas occur during active sleep, and if you've ever seen a neonate, they are asleep 80% of the time, and 50% of sleep in babies is active sleep. And this relationship lasts well until the infant period, until about six to nine months of age. During this active sleep, there is decreased muscle tone and absence of upper airway activity, and this can lead to a lower respiratory drive, irregular breathing, and a degree of peripheral apnea because the airways flop down. Finally, you may have heard people talking about reflux and its association with apnea. Most studies have shown no clear temporal relationship between gastroesophageal reflux and apnea. Apnea with desaturation events can actually lead to relaxation of the gastroesophageal junction and actually may explain why you can see some formula in the mouth of a baby who's just had an apnea. So all this is to say, really a small proportion of apneic preterm infants are likely to benefit from anti-reflux therapy. And ultimately, the evidence is not there to say that reflux causes apnea. Now, let's have a look at the differential diagnoses, or rather, other causes of apnea in neonates that we need to exclude before we say, yep, this is apnea prematurity. Secondary causes of apneas can be divided in multiple different ways. 
The way that I like to divide them is by the organ system. You can have neurological causes such as infection like meningitis, a bleed like intracranial hemorrhage. It can be seizures or any drugs that cause sedation. The second organ system is your lungs. So pulmonary causes of apneas can include a surfactant deficiency, infection like pneumonia, bleeding like a pulmonary hemorrhage, obstructive airway lesions, or a pneumothorax, or a baby whose head is positioned such that their airway is obstructed. The third system is cardiac. Cyanotic congenital heart disease can be associated with apneas, congestive cardiac failure, a painted ductus arteriosus, or increased vagal tone can all cause apneas as well. A high-yield fact to know is that prostaglandin therapy that is used in cardiac babies to keep the ductus arteriosus open is associated with apnea. It's a big side effect of that medication. The fourth organ system is the GI tract. For example, necrotizing enterocolitis can also have apneas. Five, the hematological system, anemia. Babies who are very anemic can have apneas. Six, we're getting a bit niche here. But metabolic issues such as a metabolic alkalosis, hypoglycemia or other electrolyte derangements can cause apnea in babies. And finally, a big thing that you have to exclude in a baby who's having recurrent apneas is sepsis. In terms of a clinical picture and manifestation point of view, it can be difficult at times to see if an apnea is primary from apnea and prematurity or if it's secondary to one of the aforementioned secondary causes of apnea. Babies with apnea prematurity really should otherwise be well. However, babies who are unwell with something that is causing their apneas can have feed intolerance, lethargy, temperature instability, jitteriness, poor feeding, irritability, significant deep desaturations, tachypnea, bradycardia or tachycardia, seizures or hemodynamic instability. All of these suggest that it's not just apnea prematurity and the apneas in this baby may be secondary to the fact that they are unwell. In terms of the approach to managing a baby with apnea of prematurity, the first thing we need to do is investigate and treat any other possible causes of an apnea. This would include a full history and exam of the baby and consideration if there is any infective etiology at play here. If there is suggestion or concern for this, taking a full blood count, blood cultures and covering with antibiotic therapy is indicated. Once your consultant and you are happy that this baby is otherwise well and does have apnea prematurity, the treatment strategies should be based on helping modulate the unstable respiratory rhythm in this preterm neonate into a more stable one. Like most conditions, we can separate the management of apnea prematurity into non-pharmacological and pharmacological therapies. Non-pharmacological therapies that are evidence-based include prone head elevated positioning and this should only be done in the NICU or special care because babies here are being continuously monitored. Another non-pharmacological therapy is continuous positive airway pressure or CPAP. CPAP is shown to be effective primarily against the obstructive component of apneic events. 
It essentially helps to splint the upper airway open with a positive pressure and therefore decreases the risk of pharyngeal or laryngeal muscles to relax and therefore cause an obstruction. CPAP also helps to increase lung functional residual capacity, which is often reduced in the preterm neonate. And so an increase in functional residual capacity can also increase the amount of oxygen stores that are in the lungs. And this in turn may help reduce the severity and the duration of apneic events and therefore less apneas. Devices that provide high flow delivery of gas or high flow nasal cannula can also produce a similar benefit for babies who have apnea prematurity. Now we have the pharmacological management and this is where the baby chino comes into action. Methylxanthines have been the mainstay of drug treatment for apnea for decades. The primary mechanism of action is thought to be blocking of inhibitory adenosine receptors, which ultimately results in excitation of the respiratory centre and therefore a message to tell the baby to breathe. Initially, theophylline, which you may have heard of in asthma management, was the standard of treatment. However, it required a lot of close monitoring and had unfavourable side effects. And so another methylxanthine that we are very familiar with, caffeine, has largely replaced its use. In fact, many guidelines across the world have caffeine citrate as the first-line therapy for apnea prematurity. Caffeine itself is great. It's got a longer half-life than theophylline. You can give it only once a day. You don't have to change the dose between oral and IV modalities. And it has very few side effects. Multiple studies have shown that caffeine helps increase ventilation, it improves carbon dioxide sensitivity, it increases diaphragmatic activity, and it can also decrease periodic breathing. Whilst caffeine is a very safe drug, it does have side effects, and these include tachycardia, hypertension, tremors, and a degree of reflux. Super rare side effects of caffeine in toxic doses can include tonic-clonic movements, hyperglycemia, and metabolic acidosis. However, the good news is these are very rare and do abate with the reduction or cessation of the caffeine. One fun fact to remember about caffeine that you may be asked about and is also clinically relevant is that its serum half-life in premature infants is rather long. It ranges from 40 hours to up to 200 hours and it decreases as the baby gets older. It typically is about two to four hours or the same as adult levels by four to eight months of age. So the clinical relevance in the NICU is that if you stop caffeine on the baby today, they may not start having apneas until the next two or three days once the caffeine is out of their system. On the other hand, this long half-life is really handy because it means that we only have to dose the caffeine infrequently and this convention is once daily dosing. To round out the management of apnea prematurity, are there interventions that may help in decreasingly a degree or the number of apneic episodes include 
red cell transfusions in babies who are anemic because it is thought that an increase in respiratory drive resulting from an increased tissue oxygenation thanks to more red cells can help ameliorate apnea prematurity. Also, a nasogastric tube may increase nasal resistance in a very small baby, and so sometimes an orogastric tube may be tried in order to prevent nasal obstruction and therefore limit the degree of apneas. And to finish off the episode, let's check out discharge planning and prognosis. In terms of when does a baby stop needing caffeine, that varies significantly between the NICU or special care you're working at, the baby themselves, and the clinician in charge of their care. As a generalisation, you may consider stopping caffeine at the 34 to 35-week gestational age mark. Obviously, if the baby is still having apneas, you're not going to stop at cold turkey. But if the baby is showing you that they can breathe and they have their coordination together, Usually we start weaning the caffeine then. Some people like a more aggressive approach and that is to stop the caffeine altogether and see how they go. Really, this is a consultant-led decision. So see what your bosses like to do. Regarding prognosis, apnea prematurity resolves with maturation. The physiological basis for the resolution of apnea prematurity is believed to be due to the myelination of the brainstem. Babies who have other neurodevelopmental issues may have a delay in this myelination and therefore may have apnea prematurity longer. Otherwise, in most infants, apnea really does resolve without the recurrence at a later age and without any long-term complications. And with that, it's time for a recap. Apnea is defined as either a pause in breathing lasting more than 20 seconds or a pause in breathing lasting less than 20 seconds and is associated with bradycardia or desaturation. Apnea prematurity is an apnea due to an immature respiratory control centre that is not yet coordinated in controlling the breathing in a neonate. The earlier the gestational age, the higher the likelihood that a baby will have apnea prematurity. There are three types of apneas, central, obstructive and mixed apneas. Apnea prematurity is a central apnea. When you have a baby that's having apneas, it's very important to exclude secondary causes. That can be neurological causes, pulmonary causes, cardiac causes, gastrointestinal causes, hematological causes, sepsis or metabolic causes. The clinical evaluation of a baby with apnea consists of a thorough evaluation of history, exam and clinical progress and exclusion of these secondary causes of apnea. The management consists of pharmacological and non-pharmacological therapies. Non-pharmacological therapies include positioning of the baby in a prone head elevated position as well as the use of continuous positive airway pressure ventilation. In terms of pharmacological management, caffeine and methylxanthine is the cornerstone and first-line treatment in apnea of prematurity. Ultimately, the prognosis of babies with apnea prematurity is very good because it results with age once their brainstem is matured and fully myelinated. 
And that's been this week's episode of A Spoonful of Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tell a friend. For the visual learners of us out there, head over to our Instagram page at spoonful.of.medicine for a quick summary of today's episode, along with some other great educational content. If you'd like to get in touch, have a suggestion for a future episode, or have heard something that you think needs a correction, please email us on spoonfulofmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. I can't wait for you to join us on our next episode. But until then, bye.